0: Well, good morning again. Good morning again. There we go. I'm glad to be with you here today. There's nothing better than starting a week in worship. I'm thankful that you have chosen to be here. And again, if you're joining us online, we're thankful that you are here as well. One thing that I want to mention that I did not mention in the welcome a moment ago is that today we are beginning several new classes. There's one class that's going to finish one more week and then start something new next week. But those are listed in the bulletin and would encourage you to stay after uh, worship and be a part of one of those uh, smaller group Bible discussions. Uh, also, we one, one kind of change that's in the bulletin, uh, We last week we announced that there was going to be a starting point, which is an, our new members and guests class. If you've been uh, visiting for a while and you want to know more about Kauffman Church of Christ, if you're a new member and you want to know more about the church and uh, we, we, we're going to start that this Sunday. We have actually pushed that to the start the first Sunday in April. So we'll be talking about that some more, uh, contacting a number of you, but we want you to be aware of that. Um, right now we are in a sermon series that we're calling different studying through the book of 1st Peter and we're going to be in 1st Peter chapter 3 the last part of 1st Peter chapter 3 I'd encourage you to find a Bible and uh, so you can follow along there It'll, the verses that we'll read will also be up here on the screen when we read together in a minute but I want to start by sort of telling you ahead of time where the sermon's going um, so that you can begin kind of preparing yourself for that my heart like many of yours, has been heavy the last couple of weeks uh, with all the things that are going on in our world. And as you kind of go from the things and the global situation that's going on in our world, particularly in Ukraine, um, I'm also mindful of things that are going on in my life and in many of your lives. And so um, in our passage that we're going to look at today, Peter quotes... Psalm 34, and th- he says this line For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And I, and I couldn't help, as I was studying this passage and getting ready for today, you know, I couldn't help but think about that and th- apply that to our current situation in, in the world, the uh, current situation in many of our lives. And so uh, just to kind of, again, let you know where this sermon is going, it's significant to me that God sees and that God hears and that God is attentive to each and every one of, one of us. And so I'm going to preach 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. And then at the end of the sermon, we're going to move into a time of prayer. Now, it's not going to be trad- like we've done on the third Sundays of the last couple of months. Um, there are going to be five different Spots around the room, here and here, in the middle, and back here and back here, where we're going to create some prayer circles. And we're going to spend some time as a church interceding together in prayer to take God at His word that God has eyes and ears and that He sees and hears us, that He is attentive to us. So I want to just prepare your hearts for that time. Uh, Today, we're going to look at the last 15 verses of 1 Peter 3. Uh, These 15 verses are challenging in in many ways, so I want to prepare you for that, too. I also want to let you know that one of these 15 verses might be the oddest verse in the entire Bible, so you have that to look forward to. Um, I want to pray for us, though, before we jump into this passage. Let's do that. Father, we come this morning thankful for the opportunity to worship, I'm grateful to lay our hearts at your feet this morning. and. Just be reminded about the living hope that we have, that salvation is found in the name of Christ alone. Today, God, as we open your word, we pray that you'll give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear uh, so that we might live in the way you want us to live. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we we know that following Jesus doesn't happen in a bubble, right? That you don't just commit your life to Jesus and then live off in the bubble somewhere on an island by yourself. No, following Jesus happens in the real world, in real life. And over the last few weeks in this series, we've been talking about things like loving your neighbors, loving your enemies, abstaining from sin and from sinful desires, Peter says. Submitting to authority, we talked about last week. And the reality is that it's one thing to talk about hard things that Scripture sometimes brings to us to consider. It's another thing altogether to actually have to live those out in real life. It's one thing to talk about abstaining from sinful desires or submitting to authority in church. And it's another thing to have to go out and practice those things every single week. And I, I am confident that Peter knows this. That Peter knows that following Jesus happens in real life, in the real world, and not by yourself, off, isolated, on an island somewhere in a bubble. Because every week we see all the ways that Peter is inviting and he is pleading and he is urging these Christians and these Christians to to live into their identity as Christians. To live different. And today he is asking a different question, I think. He's asking this question, how do we actually live different? What does it actually mean? You've been talking about it, right? He's been talking about it in the first part of this letter, but how do we actually do it? And he's going to give some practical things that you and I can do. What does it actually mean to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God, which he's talked about in previous chapters? What does it mean to be a priest and a priesthood? What does it mean to be the temple that carries God's presence into the world? How do we actually do that. And in his attempt to answer these questions, he picks up in first in, in first Peter chapter three, verse eight. So let's read there. This is what he says. He says, finally, although it's not really, there's a lot more to say, two more chapters of stuff to say. So finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic. There's some practical application for how to do some of the things he's been talking about. Love one another, be compassionate and humble. And pursue it. You hear all the practical application. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, quoting this psalm, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do g- good? Excuse me. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. How Christians. to behave in the world is his topic. How are they to behave in the world? And he just goes through a whole list of behaviors, really, about how Christians are to function in the church and in the world. Be like-minded, sympathetic, loving toward one another, compassionate, humble. He's talking about a culture, I think. That's the way I would say it, a culture in a church. How do the people within a community of faith treat one another? How do they think about each other? Are they compassionate toward one another? Or are they always biting and devouring each other? Always, you know, picking at each other? Finding ways to to find people's flaws and to evaluate and critique them. He's talking about a culture. Does a culture have a, does a church have a culture of grace or a culture that's incredibly legalistic where we're always trying to catch people doing wrong and making mistakes. What are our relationships supposed to be like? Because they're, we're supposed to function differently than people in the world and how they treat one another. And I think probably most of us, you hear all the things that he said and nothing is really shocking. I mean, it's hard. But it's not really shocking. I think we go, oh, okay, well, there's nothing new there. What he said is pretty familiar, right? We got that. We've seen that kind of stuff before in other places in the Bible. But then Peter shows that he isn't just talking about behavior in the church. He's also talking about outside the church. Because the next thing he says is, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. Again, he's just reminding them again that following Jesus doesn't exempt you from adversity. It doesn't, you know, there's no commitment. When you made a commitment to Jesus, it did not also, you did not also receive a promise that your life was never going to be hard. It may be that difficulty comes as a normal part of life, which all of us experience, or it may be, like in their case, difficulty comes as a result of your faith in Jesus. So, in the midst of this diversity and difficulty that may come, the question that I think he's asking is how do we behave? How do we function in a world that is not interested in and is not always supportive of the idea of following Jesus Christ? And Peter says that part of what it means to actually live into your differentness as, Jesus, as a Jesus person is to not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. And I could stop right there and close the book and we could move on and we could reflect on that for the rest of the day, for the rest of the week, because who does that? Right? If we're honest, I mean, Peter wrote this. And if we're honest, the deepest parts of ourselves, we like younger Peter better. The Peter that's chopping off soldiers' ears because that's returning evil for evil. Something has changed in Peter Right? When he's chopping off soldiers' ears in the garden when Jesus is arrested, we're like, who is this guy? He's gotten soft on us. Right? We liked you better when you were younger. He's changed, or has he? Right? Has Peter gotten soft, or has he matured? Has he grown up in Christ? As I've said in previous weeks, he's older when he writes this letter. And the things that he did when he was a younger man don't always, those are the things he often gets remembered for. But we also need to see this process that he went through. That he would say these words to Christians that are now scattered all over the place. He's grown up in Christ. And I think he's, as he's grown up in Christ, what happened was, you see it in his words. He laid aside the need to repay anyone for anything. How many of us need to hear that word this morning? How many of us need to lay aside the need to repay anyone for anything that they've ever done to you? Peter says, to this you were called. This is the behavior that you were called to as a Christian. And our challenge, quite honestly, is that too often we think about Things in terms of being right or being wrong. But for Peter, its it doesn't even seem to be about that. Peter wants to end the cycle altogether. Right? Look again at what he says in verse 9. On the contrary, repay evil, that next slide, with blessing. Because to this you were called. It isn't just about not retaliating, church. The word he uses, is bless. That word bless actually means to publicly speak well of someone. Think about that. He is not interested in just right, who's right and who's wrong. He is interested in ending the cycle altogether. Peter wants to break the cycle of evil that spirals inevitably out of control with a blessing. And maybe an application question for you to consider this morning in your life is who do you need to publicly speak well of that may have done harm to you in some way? I told you these were some hard verses. Maybe somebody that spoke negatively about you. Maybe someone that insulted you. Maybe someone that rejected you, turned their back on you, that didn't speak kindly to you, hurt you in some way. For the cycle to stop, Peter says, somebody has to go first. So one question to consider. If you have somebody that comes to mind when I ask this question is, will you go first? Again, hard teaching from Peter this morning. My question is, Why would Peter say this? Why would Peter say repay evil with a blessing? I think it's because if you repay evil with a blessing, if you don't fear threats, if you're not intimidated by people, if you are instead compassionate and kind and humble toward those inside the church and outside the church, that kind of life is going to get noticed because it is different. Am I right or wrong? Because you don't see it. We live in a world that is mostly interested in repaying evil for evil. You do something to me and I will take it a step further and do something else to you. And the cycle never ends. And Peter, I think it's like he's counting on Christians to receive this word. He's counting on our lives being unique. He's saying this is what, part of what it means to be different. That you have to make some choices about how you're going to treat people. Let's keep going and look at what he says next in verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I want to stop here for just a minute. That word revere means to set apart. So set Christ apart as Lord. So set Christ on the throne might be another way to say that. And if Christ is on the throne, then nothing else is on the throne. He's saying our reason, our why. Why? For the way that you would be, the reason you would repay evil with blessing. The reason that you would be kind and gentle, that you would speak to one another with compassion and humility. Your why is because Jesus did this first and because Jesus is Lord. At work, with your family, in our community, with your neighbors, with people who have hurt you. When you're challenged for your faith and you respond in love, when you're insulted and you return it with a blessing, when you choose peace and pursue it, your motivation for doing all of those things is because Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, it means nothing else is. So instead of fearing people, your fear isn't your Lord, right? Instead of being ruled by your desires, which you talked about last week, your desires aren't the Lord of your life. Jesus is. So set apart Christ in your hearts as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Some of us may have heard this verse in in the past. And if you're like me, you almost kind of heard it as a threat in some ways, right? Like you always better be ready to tell people about your faith. But I think when you read it in this context, it sort of lands differently. Peter isn't threatening, he's inviting us to consider, I think, this question. How has your faith produced hope in you? Because if you have faith in Jesus Christ, it is producing hope in you. You have hope, hope that God has not given up on humanity, hope that God is using all the things in your life and in the world to work for good. You have hope and a deep comfort in the promise of the resurrection, Hope that one day God is going to make all things new. Hope that evil will not win in the end. Hope for all kinds of reasons. And he's counting on you and I to be aware of the fact that that hope is there. It's sitting in our hearts. And that when when we are engaged in conversation and relationship with people, that we'll talk about it when it's time. So how has your faith produced hope in you? You could spend some time, you might spend some time this week reflecting on that question. How has my faith produced hope in my life? We know that nobody wants to, to suffer. We, nobody, that no, we know that nobody wants bad things to happen. Nobody goes asking for bad things to happen in their lives. But suffering can have a purpose, right? One, one of the reasons, uh, one thing that I think suffering does is that it helps clarify what we believe. When hard stuff does come, Peter wants us to consider how will we respond? How will we react? Will our hope anchor us when things are hard? We are never, I think, more like Christ than when we're suffering for good. And what's interesting is we are seeing in real life examples of this play out in Ukraine right now. Some of you may not be aware, and in the, event, in the event that you're not, I'm going to tell you that Ukraine has been incredibly receptive to the gospel for many years. Missionaries have been there. Bibles have been, have been sent there. And as a result, there are a lot of Christians in Ukraine right now. And so some of the stuff that's happening, that's coming out, some of the stories that are coming out right now about Christians and how they're responding in the face of suffering for good is really inspiring to me. I saw a short video that I want, to, I want us to watch of a group of Christians. And just to kind of set this up, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the city right, Kharkiv, Ukraine. They're in this city, Kharkiv, Ukraine, and they are singing a song of worship to Christ as they prepare to take shelter together. And I think this song illustrates perfectly the idea of being prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Let's watch this quickly together. Mm-hmm. Боже, я знаю, що ти будеш зна. that Jesus is Lord and that belief infiltrates our lives in a way that it gets into our bones, the hope that we have will not be quenched no matter what may come because that hope will be rooted in something that cannot be snuffed out or taken away. When we know who is on the throne, we can sing no matter the circumstances. Amen? When Jesus is Lord, we can endure suffering and hardship and persecution. And what is true for them is also true for you as well. I want to keep reading. This is what Peter says next. He says, But do this, give an answer for the hope that you receive, that you have, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed because of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. It, he, is, he was put to death in the, in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I want, you, I want to remind you that these early Christians that Peter is writing to were living in a place that wasn't friendly to Christianity. Right? And in some cases, they suffered as a result of their faith. So Peter says, remember, Christ already suffered one time. He died and he came back to life. So you have nothing to fear. And what he's essentially saying here is that is, I think is especially helpful for how we think about our sin. A lot of people, maybe this has been your experience, still believe that adversity and difficulty, any adversity or difficulty that they go through is tied to their sin and is somehow God's judgment on them for their sin. Right? And while we may suffer consequences, they are inevitable Reality as we sin, sometimes there are natural consequences that happen. But it isn't, it isn't like God is picking on you. God is assigning suffering for your sin as if God is picking on you. Right? The good news of these verses is that what happened as a result of Christ's death is that he, just, he died once and his death brought you to God. It made you righteous. The unrighteous became righteous. And what Peter says is that Jesus wants to empower you to begin to live in a way that this reality changes your life. It changes you to the point where people say, what is wrong with you? What are you thinking? Right? If you think about those questions, if someone says to you, what's wrong with you? What are you thinking? Usually you haven't done something right. Have you? Y'all are more well-behaved than I am, I guess. (laughs) If someone asked me, what were you thinking? I usually wasn't thinking, right? Why did you do that? I I usually don't know, right? But what, what if we were asked that question because of something we did right, a way we lived that was noticeably different? Why do you always treat people that way? Why don't I see you insulting people even behind their back? Why don't I see you repaying evil for evil? Why do I see you always trying to act compassionately toward other people, living with real humility? Right? What if we were asked those questions when we did something right because we were living different? I, I want to have more experiences in my life where I'm asked those questions because I've done the right thing instead of the wrong thing, which is more often what happens. And this is where we get to what may be one of the most interesting passages in all the Bible. Let's look at verse 19. So Peter's talked about him being alive. He said here at the end of, I'm just going to keep that up there, at the end of verse 18, for Christ suffered once for sins, righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but was made alive in the spirit. You can go ahead to the next one after being made alive, being raised from the dead, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. We're gonna stop there for just a second. The question that I ask when I read this is what? What is going on here? Jesus went to preach to imprisoned spirits after his resurrection, I and mean, that's not anywhere in the Bible. What are you talking about, Peter? One thing I think is important to remember is that what Jesus, this is going to inform everything I'm going to say for the next couple of minutes, so hear this. What Jesus did on the cross impacted more than human lives. We typically think mostly about Jesus' death on the cross as for how it impacted our human life, right? It saved us, it rescued us, it redeemed us, and that's all true. But what happened on the cross is about more than human lives and more than the realm that you see, which is the physical earthly realm. Because while we are living here, even if we don't understand this, scripture is very clear that there are things happening in a spiritual realm that you and I do not see. Jesus' death on the cross impacted the earthly realm, for sure, but it also impacted the spiritual realm. That everything we see and everything we do not see is connected is working, and is working together. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17. He says the sun, is, listen to how he talks about these realms like it's just normal, like it's just obvious, right? This We don't typically think this way. He says the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth and visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. There is more going on than what we see. So here's my attempt at trying to explain what exactly Peter is saying when he says after being made alive, after being raised to the dead, raised from the dead, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. After his resurrection, Jesus went somewhere to a different realm and he preached to imprisoned spirits. There are a lot of possible explanations and you can do a chase a rabbit trail for days if you really want to. But here are a few that people have have suggested. Maybe these are souls of the faithful people in the Old Testament and the the prison is their waiting place. So Christ goes and tells them after he's he's been raised from the dead, I'm alive, right? And they get to hear it first, which is kind of an interesting idea. Some have suggested that that these are the people. He's going to reference the flood and Noah in a minute. Some people have suggested that these are the people who died in the flood. They didn't listen to Noah but now they get their chance to hear the gospel from Jesus himself. Maybe, maybe that's possible. The word spirits, though, I think is important because unless stated otherwise, and there are some times where it's stated otherwise, but unless stated otherwise, anytime that word is used in the New Testament, it always refers to non-human spiritual beings. So there there apparently were there disobedient spirits in the days of Noah, maybe. When you look at the story of the flood, again, you could do kind of do a rabbit trail on this, Genesis 6, 1 through 4. There are figures in that story uh, that the story refers to as the sons of God. Some of you will remember that. And many people have suggested that these sons of God are angels who disobey God because angels have free will. Maybe you knew or didn't know that, but they have free will. So maybe these angels disobey God. They left their position in heaven. And and Genesis 6 says they married human women. So some have written that these angels were put in prison as a result of this and that Christ went and journeyed into that realm, into that prison, and he preached to them. And I want to suggest that wherever they are, those imprisoned spirits, Jesus goes to proclaim to these spirits. And I wanted to talk about that verse because I don't want to just glaze over it. But my question is why does Peter think we need to know this? That's that's the real question that I wanna know. Like why does Peter think we need to know that after Jesus was raised from the dead that he went and proclaimed the gospel, that he was alive from the dead to these imprisoned spirits? And I think it's because the cross isn't just about you and your individual salvation. That we need to know that Jesus' death on the cross, his walking out of that tomb and being alive today, is, is what that proclaims is that his, all of that is about something larger that God is doing in the entire universe. That somehow God is working to bring all this together in a way where creation exists in peace. The shalom of God. The cross impacts what we see with our eyes and what we do not see. In Ephesians chapter 6, a verse that we've studied together before, he, Paul says it this way, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, people, humans, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right? The cross speaks to us in the earthly realm and I, here, listen, it puts the unseen forces that are at work in our world on notice that their time is running out. That sin has been dealt with. That death has been defeated. And this is, the part, this is the part of the good news of this verse, I think. No matter how confusing it might or might not be to you. Hear me say this. Jesus can roam wherever he wants, whenever he wants. He can come to us in our darkness, and he can go to imprisoned spirits in some other realm. And if he can do that, church, what on earth would ever, ever intimidate his followers? Because that same power that raised him from the dead is alive and at work in you. And that, to me, is the good news of that really confusing verse. Let's keep reading. I'm going to read that part again so you can hear some context with what he's going to say next. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation of the imprisoned spirits to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water now symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The last picture of this section of scripture is a picture of a throne. And Jesus is on the throne and over it all. The throne is occupied. Jesus sits there. He can go into impri- go to imprisoned spirits and he can sit on the throne of heaven. He can do it all. He is Lord over all. And one of the ways that this gets expressed, that we express that we believe this, is through baptism. Look again at what he says in verse 20. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. That's interesting to me. And I don't know if you have caught it the first time I read it. I always thought the ark was the thing saving Noah and his family from water. The waters are rising, the flood is coming, and they have to jump in the ark to be saved. But Peter doesn't say that. Peter says that they were saved through water. And someone might ask, if they aren't saved from water, Doug, then what are they being saved from? If you recall the story, they are being saved from the sinful condition of the world. This is what broke God's heart. Look at verse 21. He keeps going. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of sin from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of us, for some of us, the role of water And the role that water plays in baptism may be unclear. But I want you to look again at these words. There is nothing magic about the water in a baptistry. This is why it doesn't matter if you're baptized here or you're baptized in your pool or in your hot tub. It doesn't matter. Because water only touches the outside of your body. And what Jesus came to transform is inside. And only the resurrection, Peter says, could transform that. This is why he says baptism is a pledge of a clear conscience toward God. What happens when you clear your conscience? If somebody says, comes to you and says, I need to clear my conscience and tell you something, what are they about to do? Right? They're not about to tell you what they've done right. If someone's coming to clear their conscience, they're going to tell you something that they've done wrong and they want to make right. It's a confession. Baptism is a confession, Peter says. It's you saying, I need to be saved from my sin. And I believe that, Jesus, you are on the throne. And that you are the only one that can save me. That you died and rose again to bring me to God. For our context, that's really powerful. Can you just imagine these words to a group of Christians that were actually suffering because of their faith? Wondering, I'm suffering and I'm going through all this hard stuff. Did I make the right decision to follow Jesus? Right? They're... they're, they're, They're aligning their lives with Jesus and they're still going through hard things. And Peter is reassuring them that their baptism is confirmation that they made the right decision. And Peter says, remember your baptism. You didn't do that because your skin was dirty. That's not the reason that someone is baptized. You did it because you believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died on a cross and that the tomb is empty. And the power in your action in being baptized is in the resurrection, Peter says. The tomb is empty and Christ is on the throne and Jesus is Lord. Remember your baptism. And I want to close this morning with the same statement to you, to remember your baptism. If you've not been baptized, that decision to be baptized begins with the question, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And it will take, as many of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, sometimes you think, if I'm going to get baptized, I have to know everything that there is to know before I make that decision. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It will take a lifetime. You can believe that Jesus is Lord, and it will take the rest of your life continuing to follow, to see the ways that answering, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord, to that question will be the best decision that you ever make. Amen? To some of you who have made that decision. And if you're ready and you've not made that decision, man, I would love to talk to you. I'll be down after worship. If you're watching online, I would love to talk to you. Reach out to us. Pledging yourself to Christ in this way will change the trajectory of your life forever in a way that you can't change on your own. And if you have been baptized, I want you to hear me say, remember your baptism. You know now more than you did when you were baptized, regardless if you were baptized last month or 20, 30, 40, 60 years ago. You're probably like Peter. You've lived some life. You've seen some things. You've experienced some things. Your current self is not like your former self, and that's part of the point. And so my question for you as you remember your baptism is, when is the last time you gave some thought to the hope that you have because of Jesus Christ? When is the last time that someone asked you about the hope that you have? The last time someone asked you, why are you so different? We have been given new life and new birth through the resurrection. We were once unrighteous and we've been made righteous. And our aim is to keep our mouths and our lives from evil. To seek peace and pursue it. So taking Jesus at his word, here's what we're going to do. God's eyes Peter says, are on, are on the righteous, that's you, that's you, and his ears are attentive to our prayer, and so if you would put that next slide up, if we have it, around the room here in just a minute, if you can't see this, I'm going to explain it, there's going to be several places in the room, five spots that you can go, and this is, uh, this is encouraged, so I would like for everybody to participate You don't have to say anything, but I would like for you to participate as we just spend some time interceding, taking God at his word that he hears us. And so there's going to be a place up here for for our students, for our teens, and any adults that want to go and pray for our students, for our teens. Andrew's going to be over there. There's going to be a spot in the back, back here, where we can speak. People who want to go and pray for physical needs, health situations that are going on. Johnny Adams is going to be back there and going to begin that time. Right here in the middle, Suzanne is going to be with any of our third, fourth, and fifth grade students that are in the room. She's going to spend some time there praying with them. And if you're an adult that wants to go and pray for our kids, you can join Suzanne there. Uh, Back here in the back, Chris is going to be in this spot. And maybe you, you our, maybe, in case you're not aware of this, uh, the last couple of years have been really hard for churches, and we're not out of that yet. We still have a whole lot of people who are online, people who haven't come back, people who have kind of gotten lost in the mix of the last couple of years and aren't back with us. Uh, and we don't really know what all's going on with all of those situations, but we want to pray. One of the things I'm praying as our county grows is that God will send new people. So maybe if you are here, you may not know it, but you're an answer to prayer. And so Chris is going to, go, going to go back there and anybody that wants to pray for that topic to pray for just for God to bring unity to our church family, to give us vision as we head into the future. Uh, and so you can be a part of that prayer circle back there. And then I'm gonna be up here uh, in this spot up here. Uh, none of us are experts in the global political situation. But I do know that we we know how to pray, and that we're called to do that, and we're told that God hears our prayers. And so, I'm going to be up here uh, and helping facilitate that time. We're just going to take like four, three or four or five minutes and do that. It's going to be one small song, short song that's going to play. After that song, you can just kind of find a seat somewhere close by. Kent Wilson is going to come up, and he's going to close us in our time of prayer. I've gone long this morning, and I apologize about that, but. Uh, I needed to say all the things that were said, and I kept trying to cut stuff out of the sermon, and I couldn't do it. So would you stand with me? <clears throat> uh, I'm going to pray over our time, and then I'll ask you to begin moving to one of those spots. Uh, Father, we, we come today thankful that you are Lord, that you are on the throne, and we are mindful today, God, that of the promise and the hope that that truth brings into our lives and the hope that we have because Jesus is Lord. And today, God, we're going to take you at your word, believing that you do what you say, that you hear our prayer, that your ears are attentive, your eyes see us, and we're going to just intercede together with one another for situations that are going on in our lives and the lives of people we love, and we ask that you'll meet us here in this place for the next few minutes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can move to one of those spots uh, at this time.